This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Pulaski will need this to be canon later. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show where we're putting humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Isix. Hi! And this week we watched the feminist episode. Kind of? Sort of? I guess? There comes a time in the life cycle of every sci-fi show where they decide that they need to have their female characters do something. And usually they do this by incapacitating the men, generally with a hot alien. It's a little weird. Now, now more modern shows tend to like just have strong female characters from the get-go, but a little bit more older sci-fi, like Star Trek the Animated Series, yeah. Yeah, I know they did this. They did this here. Uh, I don't think they did it in Next Gen. They did exactly this plot in Voyager. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they've, they've done, they did this in season one of Stargate SG-1. Yep. I know there's other ones. I'm trying to remember. There's, there's just, like, I think they might have done it. They might have done it in Buffy, but Buffy was already that. Kind of, yeah. So I guess, like, multiply air factor or something like that. Though they could have done it gender switched in Buffy. That would have been interesting, but that would have been against their like general ethic ethos thing but i would have watched that that would have been funny this is the show where the guys are kind of like eh, <laughs> we're, we're like important now crap uh what do we do <laughs> <laughs> so this is star trek the animated series the lorelei signal wait a moment i think that's a reference to something like sort of like the sirens but in germany yes it is a reference to the german Folktale, The Legend of the Lorelei, which is just the Greek siren myth, but Germany. Er. I don't confuse this with the uh, the the, uh, the second season of uh, Dice Funk. That's something else entirely. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was because it was an album name. Oh, yeah. Wasn't everything in that season a reference to songs? Uh, a good portion of it, yeah, because yeah, the placards and things like that. Anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, go listen to Dice Funk because it's like <laughs> the best actual play D and D podcast. Yes, yeah, it's 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 rather amazing. I've been a contributor to them for a while now, as far as like Patreon stuff. Anyway, sponsor <laughs> us. <laughs> we're getting Ouroboros of sponsorship happening. <laughs> anyway, this week's episode was written by Margaret. Armin, who we've already seen several things she wrote in Star Trek original series, Game Masters of Triskelion, Paradise Syndrome, Cloudminders, uh, many other contemporary shows, Rifleman, uh, Fantasy Island, something called Ironside, which apparently is a detective show about a guy in a wheelchair. Pod Squad? Hmm. So she's, she's written a lot of stuff. Uh, only one of those episodes was decent in any way, which was kind of a problem. But yeah. Cloudminders wasn't bad. So. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's just how things roll. But she, yeah, it does take care of one more episode uh, before we're done with the uh, the animated series. So we got to see. Does the, do 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 we think this is going to skew more Cloudminders, where there was some actual commentary just handled a little bit inexpertly, or Paradise Syndrome, which is just no. I guess I'd 
probably lean a little bit more uh, Paradise Syndrome, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Game Master Triskelion is kind of the neutral one, but it, yeah, it's a little bit more on the, the, the line there. Uh, the Ambergris element, I have no idea. I'm going to guess probably more Triskelion. The Hamburger element. <laughs> the Hamburglar invades the Enterprise. Well, you know, there's, there are space hamburgers that Star Trek sometimes has to go order, so yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, I've been to that Quark's bar in Vegas before they closed it. Ah, huh. neat. There we had hamburgers and the, the rings of Beta Z, the, <laughs> which is just a stack of onion rings. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. The holy rings of Beta Z. <laughs> So uh, do, do we have any uh, guest uh, stars this week? No. In fact, we have such a dearth of guest stars and also so few female cast members that uh, Michelle Barrett and Nicole Nichols wind up voicing like nine characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as the ones in the, my notes uh, that are noted, you know, Michelle Nichols is Uhura. Dara, Davison, Enterprise Computer, and Michelle Barrett is Nurse Chapel and Thela, mm-hmm. at the very least, and probably a couple others. Yeah. You didn't even want to hire more women to guest star. I'm just kind of throwing my hands up here. Mm-hmm. All right. We may as well get going here. This, this, this thing, this thing we're doing that we've brought <laughs> on ourselves. No one's making us do this. <laughs> The Enterprise is en route to investigate an area of space where ships have mysteriously disappeared over the last 150 years. It seems like about time someone looked into this. Yeah, uh, apparently uh, both Klingons and Romulans and I guess maybe Federation folk have vanished here. And so let's go into this area of space where people disappear randomly at exactly this point in time. Yeah, apparently they've done some analyses in the last 150 years, and they discovered that one ship disappears precisely every 27.346 star years. Well, okay then. <laughs> yeah, like, how did they figure this out? <laughs> also, like, this show just puts fucking... The even original series didn't do this. Animated series is just putting star and space and antimatter on the front of words endlessly. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe this is the, the time on the Enterprise where everyone was just a little bit more on drugs or something like that <laughs> and they're like man let's let's just call everything star stuff man yeah that's the entire plot they got they they went to that acid planet in the last season and they have just like this is just the first person view everyone just just is hallucinating that they're animated it's like that one episode of Christmas episode of community Dude, you have like this black outline around you. Hey, you do as well. What's what's going on, man? Let's just not mention it and move on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they've arrived a few seconds before the precise time that ships should be disappearing. As soon as the countdown into Hura receives a strange subspace radio signal. Kirk describes it as more like music than a message, but if it is some weird like avant-garde Germany synth stuff. That's uh some sort of down tempo, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, should I offer to sing at this point? <laughs> Do you think you could sing this thing? Go the cool. No, I was just gonna sing something else. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's definitely a summons, except Ahura doesn't hear it as a summons at all. It's just random noise. But Kirk, of course, ignores this and says to set course for the planet of origin. Go there. It calls to us. Later, Uhura calls Nurse Chapel to the bridge, because apparently there's only two women on this ship, to observe the men. <laughs> like, so they're acting a little weird right now. What do you think about that? They're acting strange. 
in having what Spock calls audiovisual suggestion, which means that they're hallucinating white-haired women doing whatever they, they seem to think is sexy, like Spock sees a woman playing a Vulcan message drum, and Kirk sees one holding a flower, which he, he seems, this happens to Kirk a lot. Every time he hallucinates a woman, she's holding a flower. He has some sort of weird thing here. Well, you know, some people, uh, you know, just like to have flowers involved in uh, their, their fantasies, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. So the only ones who aren't seeing anything are Uhura and Chapel. even trying to get McCoy to the bridge to check out what's going on, but he's too busy with his own hallucinations to even answer. Yeah, because for some reason they decided to pump this signal into the entirety of the ship. I mean, you wouldn't want the random crew members to not know what's happening on the bridge. <laughs> Just turn on the the, uh, the audio for everybody, all right? Uh, don't you know? No, no, no matter about security or you know the fact that we're hallucinating, you know, should prevent us from uh, making sure everyone else is affected by this too. If we were bothered by people hallucinating on this ship, we'd just be bothered all the time. <laughs> so uh, about that animated no uh, notion there. <laughs> they soon arrive at a planet that appears out of nowhere, being all woobly on the view screen. No, no one mentions this or seems to care. It's a ghost planet. Spock sensors indicate that there was once a great civilization here, but there's not much life left. There's just some isolated life readings. Ahura finds unspecified errors in Spock's scans, but we don't know what they are, and it's never really brought up. Well, uh, maybe there's like some sort of death ray on the surface that's going to blow us up if we try to uh, beam down, and that's how the ships are, are, are disappearing. So Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a new kid named Carver beam down to the planet to investigate. They find strange and wonderful gardens and alien architecture, which, like, again, the backgrounds of this show, like, if, if they had the kind of budget for this production design, like, they would have never taken original series off the air. Just like, all right, so we're on a planet, and holy smokes, this place is, like, fantastic. And it's always such a freaking weird juxtaposition, and they have these amazingly drawn, super creative backgrounds, and then just the jankiest outline, not even timed right animation anytime they move yep <laughs> it's so awkward so really they should have made the entire series a slideshow yeah they, they wouldn't have to worry about animation kirk finds the buildings compelling and spock warns this may be an effect of their visual suggestions and they should be very careful okay let's be careful then let's not rush in there and uh, oh we're just gonna go over there yeah kirk goes okay let's go doesn't seem dangerous to me you know my boss spock Inside, they encounter a bevy of tall, beautiful women with their white hair and blue eyes. I mean, they say that they're beautiful, but they are drawn identically to everyone else here, so... Nah. I was sort of thinking, you know, when I first saw them come on, I was like, wait a moment, these ladies look like like the old, uh, the original She-Ra sort of thing going on here, just kind <laughs> a of... A little bit, yeah. pasted, yeah. <laughs> it's so nowhere near as good as She-Ra. True, you know, you know, the animation's a little more bleh, but, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you're wearing this sort of you know, regal attire, and you're, you're you're sort of the '70s, '80s sort of cartoon woman of who has you know you know some sort of influence over a situation. So one woman introduces herself as Thela, the head female. Hello, mm -hmm. um, that's a interesting title you have there. Yeah. Also, considering there seem to be no men on this planet. Well, they they, they do mention that's like yeah, the, there's men here. They're just. In a different compound, far away. Don't worry about it. Mm. I mean, she has to specify she's the head female. I did see a survey recently that said there's currently something like 62 genders, so maybe she's just specifying for clarity. Yeah, well, they, they, this is also the uh, the 70s, so uh, they probably haven't thought that far ahead. Also, every woman here sounds like Chapel and Ahura. Yes. <laughs> As we mentioned before, 
they, they don't want to hire women. So Thalia explains that they found the Enterprise using something called an Optoad. Like, I feel like we're in Dune all of a sudden. Yes. It's, just, it's like an interocitor, but different. So they have a big screen thing that they activate by humming at it, and it can show them anything they could ever want to ask. So if you basically uh, start singing Master Exploder, uh, it it's activates. Okay, cool. But enough explaining plot convenience. It's time to honor the men with a big feast. Oh, well, cool. I would like a big feast just for showing up. After the feast, they all lay around watching women juggle crystals. It's kind of a cool idea. But mm. Like, just like, okay, this is like a crystal that's like a diamond shape that looks like if it hits your hand, it's going to like stab right through it. But I guess they're good at it, I guess, or yeah, something. It's very like GameCube era polygon graphics. Yes. It looks exactly... Actually, it's it's a Sims doodle. It's one of the oh, Sims yeah. thingies. <laughs> Just red. So there we go. Wait a moment. They, they've landed on the planet of the Sims? <laughs> so she's juggling crystals, and then she throws one at Spock, who fails to catch it. She's like, heads up! And then you know, nothing. Then he falls over. Everyone else also falls over. McCoy remarks it's probably the nectar they were drinking. Oh, man. We got drugged again. Mm-hmm. Then they're dragged away to... Wake up in huge four-poster beds, each one now looking old and having a circlet permanently attached to their head. Well, this is awkward. Um, have we just been unconscious for, like, decades or something? What's, what's going on? So they head to the main room, where they confusedly and slowly ask to leave. But Thela orders them obstructed, and the women easily just pick them up and throw them. Because apparently they've lost, like, all their strength. Well... The women must just be strong, because they're still picking up and throwing around grown men. Yep. Which most people can't do. Just generally. There's maybe some special explanation for some of this, kind of, that's implied, maybe. Back on the ship, Chapel and Uhura have fed all the information they've collected about the planet and the signal into the computer. The analysis reveals that the signal coming from the planet is invigorating to human men but also causes weakness and possibly even death with prolonged exposure. So it both pumps you up and pumps you down and at the same time? I, I'm huh. Okay, that's a little weird. See, if, if we're going off like the last episode, which was very like, you know, bad educational TV about digestion, this could be, they didn't, but they could have turned this into bad educational TV about drugs. Yep. <laughs> Also sex, but mostly drugs. It's This could have mostly been the drug. sex, drugs, and the rock and roll episode. Well, there is music, so... So Uhura immediately orders security to send an all-woman team to block off the transporters because she is taking over the ship. Mwah! Uhura, captive of the Enterprise, destroyer of uh, expectations, I guess? They told me to patch in communications with Starfleet one too many times. <laughs> I'm taking over. On the bridge, Scotty is distractedly singing for a very long time. Yep. Kind of just singing there. There's uh, it like a Celtic or a Welsh tune, right? Yeah, Welsh. So the, I just need to comment because this scene shows the planet and the Enterprise flying. It starts like almost off screen on the left and starts flying over towards the right side of the screen. And you think like this is going to last a couple seconds and then it just keeps going and it keeps going. But then by about the time you're like, oh, they're just going to have the ship fly all the way over to the other side of the screen while he's singing, it stops three quarters of the way. Yep. (laughs) So what was the point of that? Yep. (laughs) 
they didn't even complete the ship moving across the screen. That's just they. I guess they just needed thirty seconds of filler to make the episode as long as they wanted. I guess, and also, you know, just having Enterprise slowly drift over, you know, in front of the planet is really, really easy to animate. So, yep. So Uhura announces that she's taking command of the ship, and Scotty goes, "Oh, thank you." Well, that's that's nice. Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, take a nap over here later. Yeah, at least he doesn't fight it. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back on the planet, all the women have left, which makes the men feel less weak and confused. Wait a moment. Are they, like, not quite salt vampires or something like that? Some kind of vampires. They're, they're a combination of uh, the, the salt vampires and the plot of uh, the uh, the deadly years. I can barely speak right now <laughs> for some reason. Since so Spock notes that while their weapons and other equipment are gone, they still left McCoy with his med kit, evidently thinking that it wasn't anything important. Inside, there's a stimulant that they take to get their energy back and a medical device that they use to disrupt the magnetic locks on the door. They escape just as Thela enters to give chase. An action scene! Ladies with super strength and fight, you know, chasing down old men. The men manage to hide in what is apparently a large ornamental urn in the garden just before being found. As you do. So that's it. Now they have some breathing room. They note that the headbands tend to glow when the women are nearby. And Spock intuits immediately that this means they are polarized conductors that are transferring their life energy to the women when they are close by, causing rapid aging. The science for that doesn't make any damn sense, but you know. This happens a lot. Anytime that they want to do vampires in sci-fi, but they're not going to do vampires, they're taking your life energy, which we don't particularly understand. It's just your energy, man. It's like new age stuff, but we don't understand it because we're writing sci-fi. And so we're just going to assume this is kind of how it works. And suddenly it's like the force or something like that. I don't know. As I've said many times, all technology in Star Trek runs on magic space rocks. We should stop worrying. Yes. (laughs) So if they don't stop this in a few days with their rapid aging they're going to die because they're aging about 10 years a day is that since spock is much longer lived than anyone else he should have the strength to go back to the temple and find their communicators to call for help from the ship plus you know uh, uh, spock has the vulcan neck pinch you can just sort of quietly go around and it's like hey can i can i get a hug oh there you go no he doesn't use his his spock sexiness to fight back <laughs> Spock returns to the empty temple and hums at the Optoad to activate it. I just love the name of this stupid thing. <laughs> the Optoad. Mm, do the thing. He asks where their equipment is, and the screen shows him the communicators are hidden under the main throne. He grabs one just as the women return, but he has just enough strength and time left to tell her to send down an all-female team, which she figured out already. Yes. So that was kind of a waste of time. Mm, this is the, we'll get back to this. So this is the first of many. Ahura does this with herself and Chapel and four security officers beaming down to the temple. Thela demands that they leave and attacks, but apparently they've never seen phasers before and they're quickly taken out by the security team. Set phasers on stun. Ahura just starts gunning people down. Yeah, they start shooting people and all the women in the super technologically advanced society is like, oh, well, didn't uh-huh. think of that. They have guns. <laughs> Suddenly, we're having flashbacks to the third Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. 
So the crew searches the compound but fail to find any men until Spock senses they are there and psychically reaches out to Nurse Chapel because I guess they still have their special bond. I guess that can work. Chapel finds the hidden door to the sleeping chamber and also Spock. Hey Spock, uh, you've gotten old. Um, are they are they are they sucking out your life energies? You have to keep you know, keep running into plants where people try to do that. Let's let's get out of here. So outside, someone says it could be worse. At least it's not raining. And then. So the rain starts to fill slowly, well, not so slowly, but it starts to fill up the urn that they're hiding in. But now they're old and too weak to climb out of the urn, so they're going to drown now. Yes, because there's just that much rain. That this urn that can fit, you know, like four people in it is going to fill up instantaneously, effectively. Chapel takes Spock back to sickbay, where he tells her that they can block the signal with the shields, which apparently they already tried. But he goes like, have you tried using more power? Yes, Spock, we have tried using more power, but I guess we could do even more power. Um, just keep humoring him, it'll be fine. <laughs> On the planet, Uhura threatens Thela by vaporizing an urn until Thela decides to use the Optoad to show them their planet's history. That's pressing right now. Apparently they came from a dying world to this one, so they're not native. They didn't know that this planet drains humanoid life force. Or something. The women developed a glandular condition that counteracts this, but has the nifty side effect of letting them control men and also feed off their life essence. So uh, you get some guys over here, and they uh, you just sort of pull your pull their their life essence in, and you become super powerful and immortal, and I guess forever beautiful or something like that. And uh, the guy that they have on the display there, I think that's GI Joe. Mm-hmm. So over time, they've occasionally needed to lure men here to top off their life energy, I guess about every 20 years or so. This makes them functionally immortal, but they're trapped in this horrible, undying place where they can't even have kids. Oh no. That sucks, I guess. Yep. That's the only thing they mention being wrong here, is they can't have children. Well, I guess, if, you know, the... Uh... Their descendants had the you know, the, you know a un the universal glandular stuff going on, uh, independent of their gender. That would be okay, but otherwise you're just gonna make more ladies. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Parthenogenesis. That's like that one uh, one species of uh, a lizard or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Well, several species of lizard. Anyway, <laughs> Ahura uses the Optivod to find the men who are just about to drown in the urn outside. She uses the security team to blow it up. Releasing them just before they all die. Hooray! But back in sick bay, they're still all gonna die. Well, um, I guess they got to die later? There's nothing that they can do to reverse the rapid aging process until Kirk has an idea that they could use the transporters to rebuild their younger bodies. It's apparently super, super risky, but they don't have a choice. So I guess it has to be super risky, because why would you not just do this every 10 years or so? Yes. <laughs> it's like, well, um, I have my uh, transporter pattern uh, set up for... Uh, to be 24 uh, forever, so I'll just uh, hop in and, uh, ooh, that's a good, re uh, you know, regeneration. This is, of course, drawn out for tension, but obviously it's going to work fine because they're not going to keep drawing wrinkles. How many more lines is that to draw? <laughs> too many. It's too expensive. Can't do that. So the men come out just as they were before. With just one last thing to do, her returns to the planet to watch Thela destroy the transmitter that they were using to lure men in. And in exchange, the Federation's going to send an all-female ship to transport them to another habitable planet where apparently they'll return 
returned to being just like their ancestors in a few months, able to do all the stuff they did before, maybe even love and have a new lease on life, and all they had to do was give up their immortality. So, okay, fine. Well, I guess if, you know, you want to, like, get back to actually living life as opposed to just sort of being immortal forever, right? yeah, it's not a bad trade-off. The end. I mean, I don't, I don't really care that they don't want to be immortal, but, like, they, they don't like it here. They've never wanted to stay on this planet, and they never once just asked someone to help them leave. Yeah, their 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 motivation for their plan is a little confusing. In 150 <laughs> years of drawing ships here, they never went like, "We hate it here." Uh, it might be like a thing where they're like really guilty about being <laughs> vampires there, and so it's like, "Well, we'll only do this when we absolutely have to," and they're like, "Well, what if we do this? Then and you know." The, the ship, we don't know how to run these ships, so we, we t- you know, we, we kill all these men in the process, and then we just have a ship in orbit that eventually falls out of orbit, and that's about it. Oh, hmm. Like, well, wow, this, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get what they try to do with these episodes, but they always, frick, like, this one more than most has just fallen into every freaking horrible woman trope that you get in these shows. It, it's it's really unfortunate that that's, you know, you know, it's, so persistent so overwhelming uh, in the in the trends of tv you know especially at the time uh that it's just you know just this pops up anytime you know someone tried you know tried to make a very pro-woman episode it's like all right well i guess at least you tried yeah hmm. i guess so like they they did the thing like apparently people even just loved this like even uh i found a quote like uh during the read through Nichols is like oh my god I get to take over the ship amazing <laughs> yeah I recall that's uh, I think this is like her favorite uh, episode of at least the animated series mm-hmm. but they they just hit so the, you start off with just the normal like woman temptress thing where the only thing women have is their like ability to control men and that gives them such an outsized amount of power. Men are useless to their to the, the the whims of these ladies who have so much they're like the 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 dark witches but you know they're not not shrinkly and green you know with pointy hats. They're beautiful ladies that are going to manipulate you and uh, fear them it's stuff i guess mm. and this is very simultaneously used a lot it's either a like reason that people cite for why there isn't any gender inequality women have just as much power because they can control men with their wiles and whatnot uh or it's like cited as a reason that women need to be controlled by men because they can use this power for evil and actually they're usually the ones in charge just behind the scenes and sneaky like and uh i'm gonna call bull uh you know you know bull on both of those uh sort of views there because it's basically trying to you know you know foist the the totality of someone's own personal inability to control themselves onto other people and Let's see. We also hit what I guess now we are calling Metroid Other M Syndrome, which if people aren't familiar with that game, Samus, who's like one of the original women of video games, spends that entire game having all of her equipment, abilities and other things, but she's not allowed to use them until the guy says she can. Yeah. Which they keep doing. Like, Ohura is like, I'm taking over the ship. I see that this is something that's only affecting the men. I'm going to send a female security team to the transporter room. But I guess 
she's not allowed to think about sending down a rescue party until Spock goes, I figured it out. We need to send down women. Well, I guess maybe Uhura was like, well, if I go before Spock calls back to let us know what's up that we already figured out, he's going to like be really moody or something like that. And she just didn't want to put up with that. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to bruise the men's egos. <laughs> It's like, he's going to have a bruised ego, isn't he? Crap. And then they do it again, which like that one, but the second time bugs me just on a writing level because they could have made it make sense. They just didn't. Yeah. Because Spock's the science officer. So he goes, you can block this with the shields. And they say, we tried putting power to the shields. And he goes, put all the power to the shields, dumbass. <laughs> Instead of, no, here's like, a sciencey thing that I would know how to do as the science officer, which would make sense that I know how to do it, and you, the communications officer, don't. No, it's just but put in more power, though. Yeah, yeah do a uh, inverse uh, wave function of the uh, the song as it's coming in, and it'll cancel it out uh, completely and totally, and you'll be you know good to go. Which like the comms officer should be able to figure out how yeah. to cancel <laughs> out a wave for like a signal coming in by playing the inverse waveform. But uh, I guess we're not doing that this week. Nope. So yeah, this this one, yeah, it had some opportunities, but every single time it just kind of squanders them. And then, of course, you have the big one where the main thing that all the women on the planet hate is that they can't have kids, thus making their lives unbearable because that is the only need, function, or want of any woman is to have children. And if you can't have children, your life is basically useless and over and it's not even worth being immortal for. You know, people are different, have different priorities, different wants in their life. And there is a whole variety of what people's individual points to their existence you know, ends up being that they uh, you know, will, will decide for themselves. And they're allowed not to choose that one, you know? Yeah, and... What's really crummy is, like, this is something that still pops up a lot. Like, especially in more conservative-minded arguments, you see this with people when they're talking about women who have careers or are famous. They're like, oh my god, this celebrity is almost, is like, you know, halfway through her 30s and she doesn't have kids yet, must be so lonely and horrible, or why isn't this one person married yet? They, they're running out of time, oh my god, having children is the only thing. This is like something that we still hit. Yeah. And children is one of, in fact, the main ways that we use in Western society. And I'm sure others are just no Western society better to exercise control over women because it is something that women have to bear physically that takes a major toll on them. And then they are, in fact, expected unfairly to take on the majority of the work of child rearing. And in fact, we've set up our society in such a way that it is almost impossible for a man, even one who wants to, to evenly share in caring for their own children because we've just set up the workplace dynamics and other things to unfavorably slant towards women doing more of the work. There's a, a reason there's this thing called people talk about the pay gap there, because women tend to be paid less than men, even when they're doing the exact same job. And that's a little ridiculous. And, you know, if, if one, if, you know, a guy can have a job that is able to support the family, it sh you know, a woman should be able to do that as well. And, but for, you know, for a good number of jobs, that's not possible because of this, you know, ridiculousness. 
And, uh, you know, even beyond that, you know, the, the preferences on who gets hired, who gets promoted, uh, you know, who even gets allowed to do certain jobs. Yeah, it's it's all sorts of uh, janky and, you know, related to that horrible thing called uh, gender uh, uh, roles there. So, yeah, this episode manages to hit just so many bad gender role things in a row. And it's really sad every time you watch an older show try to do a like, but we put the women in charge narrative. Because they don't. still hampered by this. Yeah. We're, we're still having to do it through this particular filter. And so we can't break free and truly you know, express what that would look like. And this particular plot point, which, as I've said, has popped up in a lot of different media. It simultaneously lets you do both things because you're like, we're empowering the good women who usually can't be sex symbols on the show itself because, you know. Like, we've had them be a couple times in original series, but Ahura and Nurse Chapel usually aren't specifically sex symbols in this show. And now, so the good women get to be the elevated heroes, while the bad women who are manipulating men with their feminine wilds and things are the villains of the piece. So you wind up with, like, the dutiful housewives who are just trying to take care of the men... And save them from themselves while this, like, horrible temptress comes in and tries to, like, take them away. Goes to uh, a lot of, I guess, paranoia about, like, oh, your man's going to cheat on you if if he spends any time with, you know, a, a beautiful lady. Because, I guess. Well, there's also that idea that, like, you know, women always could control men with their sexuality if they wanted to. You even get this later in uh, Star Trek V with uh, her sexy fan dance so like she is fully capable of controlling men with her feminine wilds if she wants to she just doesn't because she's one of the good ones it's a little it's a little late mm. though i will say like like we are so far removed from this being the level of representation that people want or get now but yes. uh i know this show is like kind of obscure but this is like a black woman in charge of the enterprise Discovery was, uh, you know, you know, not not you know, not the first of the Star Trek franchise to have that sort of thing going on. So it's good that they're trying. Yes, <laughs> and I know I've criticized this a lot, and I like, like from a modern perspective, the representation on this show is awful. From yes. the perspective of the time, this was a massive deal to even have a her on the ship. So giving her command is just a really good step up. Given the standards of the time. You know, but given our present standards, it's like, uh, you know, could we have better? So, yeah, I guess we're kind of spoiled in that way, which is, I guess, a good thing, you know? This is something that we need to keep bringing up, though. It's good that we're a little more spoiled now, but, like, just because there's an incredibly low bar, we shouldn't not celebrate passing the super low bar, but we shouldn't act like it's great that the bar is that low. Yes. So it's, you know, so, so points for getting over it. But, uh, you know, negative points to the greater society for having the bar be there at that point. Yes. So uh, I, I guess we could, you know, uh, try to, uh, you know, slam Star Trek specifically and the, you know, the creators of this particular episode. But really, we should be blaming the greater society. Yeah, basically, we really should. Yep. So I, I shake my fist. <laughs> yeah, shake your fist at the bite my thumb at you, 60s. <laughs> Well, seventies now, but <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just I don't know that decade. The decades back then run together. Uh, basically, the uh, the trouble of the uh, the nuclear family of the the fifties 
just kept on persisting and uh, it just won't die in some areas. Mm-hmm. All right, this show was so simple. That's yeah. basically all I've got. Women is bad, except for the couple women who is good because they supports the men. And that's kind of, you know, echoing the, the gender roles and uh, perceptions of the time. And it's not great, but at least they tried. So. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it, it's, just, it's just indicative of the whole thing, because they had to pull just random women out of the woodwork for this, because they only have two named characters. Yes. And when you're too cheap for guest stars, well, especially women guest stars, it's like, um, can you do a different voice somehow? Well, kind of, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, like, they, they, it just shows the lack of variety, because they do have James Dewan doing most of the other voices, because they don't want to hire more people, but... They have more of a male cast to draw from to do voices when they don't want to hire other people. And most of the uh, other voices uh, James Doohan's doing are, you know, either it's like, oh, I'm just a more Americanized accent person, or I'm doing a high-pitched voice that's like a computer or alien space being, and you can't really tell my accent because I'm doing that. Ah. <laughs> So yeah, unless we can pull something else out of the woodwork, I'm done. This is all I had for this episode. Yeah, yeah. I guess we could talk a little bit about gender roles and all that, but I don't really feel like doing that right point. <laughs> and we've done this before. Go listen to like yeah. any of our other feminist rant episodes. I guess we could try to talk about the, the history of gender roles, uh, but you know, there's a, there's a lot there and... I don't know, I just didn't feel super motivated to do all the research for this episode. <laughs> These episodes are not worth, I don't know, we'll do that later. We'll do that and we'll do that when we get to the weird gender-flipped planet and next-gen. All right, let's do that then. Okay, so uh, that's a plan, guys, everybody. All right, so for now, then, it's just time for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show. I hope you're feeling fantastic, because I know I am. Because I just had a good day, that's all I've had. Anywho, uh, let's get on to the awards, because we got the various contestants who have been racking up all sorts of points. We are going to be handing out some prizes that are going to be uh, you know, associated with their successes, and we'll see how that goes out. So, uh, the first prize to hand out is the Highlander Prize, which goes to Thela and her fellow semi-mortal group of gals on the planet. What do they win, Gipwood? Well, in keeping with Highlander, they should all get big swords, because apparently they're confused by guns. And don't have mm. any other form of weaponry, which is, like, weird for when they're kidnapping people. Seems like gender equity is screwing them over. Well, I guess I was kind of surprised they didn't have swords, because, uh, like, th- right, is this a planet of, like, Valkyries or something like that? I, I'm not... Or, or, oh, it's something else entirely. Okay. Hmm. So, yeah, swords. Let's give them some swords. I endorse big swords. Also, that can go into how they didn't use any actual technology because they were just singing at the computers that were already made and, like, going off of the siren and, like, thing that they were already doing who use, like, claws and other things to kill people instead of weapons. Like, it's it's just tying into the whole, like, men use technology and women are, like, using some sort of brute force physical thing to kill making them less human instead of the people who are using guns and weapons and swords which is we consider more human because using tools makes you inherently more human and advanced it's a whole thing let's give them laser swords then 
Yeah, laser swords. Not yeah. I, actually, it's before. I think it's still before. They could do laser swords first. It's still before Star Wars. Indeed, it is. Our second prize is the Silent Death Prize, which goes to Kirk and the entirety of the Enterprise for intentionally going into a sector space that apparently vanishes ships and gets everyone killed. What do they win, Kipwin? They just win early retirement. At this point, it's obvious that the Federation is just trying to kill them off. <laughs> I don't I don't see the lie. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just so amused by that. Um <laughs> So they'll get to an early retirement and be able to go home. And, uh, well, they've already kind of been uh, aged up several times. And so I guess maybe they'll get two retirements then. Yeah. Hmm. Kirk has just caused too much trouble at this point. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, let's try to get the Enterprise crew killed. They'll be fine. Our final prize for today is the Boys Are Useless prize, which goes to your her and the rest of the uh, women crew who have to contend with this being the reality they live in. But also more so during this particular episode. What do they win, Gepwin? Okay, this is going to have to be a big fan project. The casting is going to be difficult because so because all the people involved in this have been aged out so long. But like, we need a spinoff show where every disposable female character gets to be on their own ship. That'd be awesome. They Ahura or Ahura gets to be captain we get chapel as first officer number one can be science officer and then just everybody else like gets everybody else who was like in there for one episode just to be the sexy woman just gets to be part of the bridge crew i i, I would watch that so let's get to it everybody production team activate all right that's all i got as far as prizes goes Gepwin. uh go ahead and take us away yes thank you all for joining us on this like supposedly feminist edition of the galaxy's favorite game show all right next one i do i don't i don't (laughs) no the next week i feel like they're just gonna ruin one of my, like, the only pure, this is one of the few, like, pure, nice things about this era of Star Trek, and I have just this bad feeling about it. Are, are you upset because they made them pink? No, just, like, they, they were already perfect, and then, like, I was worried they were going to mess it up when they did it in DS9, but that was such a great just homage episode. So I don't know what they're going to do here. The fact that no one ever mentions it worries me. Well, I think part of the not, never mentioning it might come from the fact that few people have see, actually seen this series. <laughs> that could be. Also, the name doesn't doesn't bode well. It uh, doesn't roll off the tongue very well either. No. So this episode is called More Tribbles, More Troubles. Parallelism there going in the title, I guess. Yeah, because you had the trouble with Tribbles. This is More Tribbles. More troubles. More troubles. You know, mo money, mo problems. But are we going to be selling triple triples? I don't know. Yeah. They might be. I guess they could. See, at least like DS Nine did a really good job with this. They at least had a pun. Mm-hmm. DS Nine at least went the tr- like trials and tribulations. So this may as well be called Tribbles, Tribbles, Tribbles. Yes. Now there uh, is technically a a fourth triple episode out there. Oh my god. Is it in one of the fan shows? Nope. It's uh, one of the short treks. Uh, oh, right. It's called the, the Trouble with Edward. 
Yeah, with what's-his-face in it from Bob's Burgers. I can't remember the name of. Um, is that Edward, uh, 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 John Benjamin or something? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. I've seen people making fun of it. Yeah, that's pretty silly. Uh, it's also very, very tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> You'd think also, so. Uh, and also Edward should be should have been fired so many so many years ago. <laughs> I had to try I just should track that down. <laughs> anyway, this this is going to feature Cyrano Jones again which the beloved Cyrano Jones it all, all his three lines. Yeah. Uh, he's almost uh, you know he's almost as beloved as uh, Groppler Zorn, so you know, <laughs> we're we're in for a treat here. So apparently the Klingons are trying to hunt down Cyrano Jones. So this may be the origins of the Klingon tribal extermination campaign that we have mentioned in DS9. Yes. <laughs> we hunted them down and destroyed them all. We've also got Captain Koloth, who I'm willing to bet is voiced by James Doohan. Yep. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> they do have they do have Stanley Adams coming coming back as Cyrano Jones, though. We got a we got a guest star. Oh yeah, that's a little crazy. Yeah, it ha- I guess I guess Dewan's only allowed to do one impression, so they don't have to rehire an old actor per episode. Oh, maybe that's why uh, there's some maybe continuity snarls with this episode, as, as far as uh, you know the Deep Space Nine uh, appearances to Koloth. Maybe because it wasn't really Koloth. It was Scotty pretending to be Koloth the entire time. Oh, they got a triple predator. That's interesting. That sounds fun. A gloomer. Huh. Okay, this this might be interesting. So hopefully next week's episode is just some mindless fun, because we can use that about now. Yeah. Let's get some mindless fun, Gepwin. Okay, so next... Oh my god, I looked up a picture of the gloomer. Don't do that. <laughs> Oof. Okay, next week we're going to talk about whatever this monstrosity is on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the new pink tribble for you and me, for everyone. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come if you enjoy our podcast make sure to subscribe for more and where possible make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review you may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and twitter at Gepwin you may find me Dr. Isix on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and twitter at IsixLP Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>